Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Legal Management Talk, the official podcast of the Association of Legal Administrators. I'm your host, Kate Raftery. Today I'm speaking with Jennifer Hill, who many of our listeners may have encountered as a speaker at ALA events. She's also the author of one of our most recent white papers, The Changing Role of Law Firm Leadership. Welcome, Jennifer. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Kate. It's a pleasure. Sure. Could you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so basically I'd started recruiting in 2003, originally for a sales recruiting company, and then I had heard about a local boutique recruiting firm that specialized in law firms in early 2000, and I had reached out to their president and CEO and said, you know, hey, I've heard great things about you, I'd love to come and be a recruiter with you, and they took a chance on me, I was 23 years old. And I was very, very fortunate, Kate. I was able to break a lot of company records and innovate. And one of the things I wanted to do when I was with that organization was was to open up a division of the company that would be more consulting. When the economy crashed in 2008 and 9, I had suggested that we open up a new division that would focus on teaching people how to be successful at job hunting and kind of more of an outplacement sort of service. And the best thing that ever happened to me, Kate, was that the company offered, they said, hey, you know, it's a great idea, but we just want to keep doing our traditional model. Mm -hmm. And that's what had me open my first company. So I opened my first company, I believe it was in 2009. And I did consulting for a year. And then I was a partner briefly with another recruiting firm. And then that led me to opening up J. Hill Staffing Services, which I ran for eight years before being acquired by Markham Search in February of 2018 of last year. Mm-hmm. And I continued to run the California offices of Markham Search for a year and a half and recently transitioned into a consultant role with Markham Search so that I can focus 100% of my time on speaking and writing and doing more creative projects. Well, great. I'm glad you're you're able to, to do that since we benefit from it for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm so thankful. It's exciting to be able to do this. Great. So uh, the basis of this particular white paper was a survey that you conducted with ALA members. What sort of questions did you ask and what was the general response? So what I was interested about was why were law firms hiring CEOs in lieu of managing partners or in addition to managing partners? And I wanted to get a sense of the history of what people's titles were when they entered the profession. So one of the questions I was interested in is, what was your first title when you first began working in a law firm? And you saw things like some traditional things you would kind of expect, like an HR manager, office manager, HR assistant, recruiting manager. And then what I asked was, what is your current title? And what we saw was a bigger shift towards C-suite roles. So when the question was first posed, there was not a single C-suite position that was uh, mentioned such as CEO, COO, or CFO. And then what we saw was a higher incidence of CEO, COO, CFO, and other C-suite sort of positions that were beginning to surface. And this has just been in the last three to five years, I would say. And what I finished the paper with was also asking what sort of C-suite title would most interest somebody who was participating in the survey. And a majority of people were interested in CEO, COO roles with some innovation or chief financial officer, uh, basically roles that somebody was looking for. And 
What I really wanted to get to the bottom of is were firms using non-attorney CEOs and what did that role look like? Who were these people reporting to? Were they reporting to the board of directors, to the managing partner, to a management committee? Because this is such a new phenomenon, a lot of law firms I've spoken with are interested in hiring C-suite, particularly CEOs, to help with the strategic execution of the business. But what they weren't clear on is how do you even go about doing that with the way a law firm is structured? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, those uh, pesky billable hours in client service. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, minor details. Yes. Was there anything about the responses that especially surprised you? You know, I was actually surprised at what percentage of people had actually worked with a non-attorney CEO. I think it was surprising that 30% of respondents had already worked with a non-attorney CEO. And when I had first been made aware of this position, I believe it was in early 2018, it was the first I had heard about it. And I realized that it was an untapped subject. And that's what really started to pique my interest is who is this CEO What does he or she do? How is that different? Are the firms that are utilizing CEOs more or less successful? And in what ways are they more or less successful? So that was where the white paper idea was birthed. And the more people I began to speak with about it, the more it became a subject of intrigue to a lot of the people who I interviewed and to people who were participating in the survey. So let's transition to the content of the white paper itself. What conclusions did you reach about the state of law firm leadership based on the survey and your other research? Uh, Do you want my honest answer? (laughs) Sure. Uh, Well, I think the last line of the paper basically sums it up when I said law firms basically need to innovate. Otherwise, we'll look back on them as the dinosaurs that got stuck in the tar pits of technology and were unable to successfully extricate themselves. (laughs) And I don't want to be that grim or doomsday about it, but from all of the research I conducted, the solutions I came to, and thanks to the help of Dr. Larry Richard, who's one of the experts in the industry, among with many others who I interviewed, the conclusion that I drew is that law firms begin need to look at other service providers. One of the examples that I reference in the white paper is the big four accounting firms. Mm-hmm. And one of the people who contributed greatly to the paper was Beth Wilson, who was previously the head of KPMG in Canada and went on to be Denton's CEO for their Canadian region. And what we found out, as Beth had referenced and we quoted her in the paper, is that the biggest obstacle is getting attorneys to move together. What Beth had mentioned to me in our interview is she said, Jennifer, one of the biggest obstacles for me is I didn't realize that in law firms, law firms focus on individual ranking. Who is the number one attorney? This super lawyer, that super lawyer. And you really don't have something comparable in the accounting world. It's much more team-oriented and collaborative and cooperative. So I think one of the biggest things that law firms need to do is not remove the competitive aspect, but shift and transform the way they do business to be more collaborative, to work more as a team. That was a common theme that came up with many people and that law firms could learn a lot from their professional services counterparts like big four accounting firms because what happens is Law firms are antiquated in a lot of their technology as well. As we all know, many of the partners, not all, but a lot of partners out there are very tried and true and steadfast in doing things the way they've always been done. In fact, there was one person who I didn't reference who uh, offered me some advice for the paper, and he's a partner of a major law firm. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of laughing and said, oh, 
this is silly. Nobody would care about this. Uh, law firms need to keep doing things the way they've always done them, and I don't even use LinkedIn. And I think that mm-hmm. limited mentality is what's going to cause the extinction of law firms if we're not careful. Because what happened was in the 1990s when corporations, I think I referenced some articles that Dr. Larry Richard uh, had mentioned, mm-hmm. in the 1990s, corporations began to create their own kind of almost like a union to say, hey, law firms are charging us too much. Let's set our own rates. And that was the beginning of all the emergence of these 16, 17 alternative models to law firms. And so years ago, law firms, 20, 50 years ago, law firms didn't have to worry about this. They were the only game in town. But now because there are much more competitive, more cost-effective models, What law firms are having to do is to compete with these other models, let alone themselves in the big law firm spaces. And so what they're having to do is innovate, make sure technologically they're at the forefront of how are we using technology? How are we pricing? Are we providing not only the best service, but the quickest service using new technology? And AI is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Peter Scuso, who's from our lot from our organization gave me a great quote. He is the head of innovation and technology at Markham LLP. And Peter had talked about how any professional services organization, whether it's a law firm, an accounting firm, or in another realm that doesn't innovate in the next five years will be left behind because AI is replacing a lot of what we used to do. In fact, I remember when I started, Kate, many years ago, it was legal secretaries would help with a lot of the technological stuff. They would Mm -hmm. type the papers. They would handle transcription. And I remember speaking to a managing partner of a law firm here in Santa Monica, and he said, oh, I don't need a secretary anymore because I can use boilerplates and I can type in my own stuff and just throw my letterhead on there. And that was the beginning about five years ago where I said, hmm, okay, law firms are beginning to think about things differently. So the conclusion for me is one, that law firms need to better utilize technology. Two, that they need to be more strategic in how they approach doing business as a business rather than as a law firm. And three, the biggest obstacle that we barely scratch the surface on in the paper is that attorneys who are coming into the workforce now, many of the Generation Zs, the millennials who are up and coming, a lot of them, not all, don't want to be partners in law firms. So Mm -hmm. here you have these highly educated, great writers, brilliant minds, and many of them want to either A, go in-house, or B, open up their own uh, basically business or their own law firm. And so the question then becomes, what if we were to give them new ways to be a resource, to be a contribution in the firm other than the partner track? So one of the things I had suggested is to come up with new roles that might motivate and inspire the youth and the Generation Z and millennials and future generations that are coming into law firms. Because what's going to happen is if you figure, let's say hypothetically, 50% of associates coming into firms don't want to be a partner, five to 10 years, that's going to leave a huge gap, not just in Mm -hmm. leadership but also in the who's going to be running the firms and producing business if we have 50% less partners. 
I think you referenced that you thought it, your conclusion was maybe a little grim, but I think your audience here is the legal managers, and I think that they might be a little more uh, cozy up to the to the idea that their structure of their firms needs to change, perhaps, in order to succeed, or even to just even if they're not particularly worried about a alternative legal provider, they might need to be worried about being taken over by a firm that does have this leadership and success model figured out, because. <laughs> Even if uh, these alternative providers are still a little bit far out, that mergers are certainly a clear and present danger, if you want to think about it that way. Yeah, it's a good point. And I remember, it's, to go to your point about change, yes, for any of you out there who might be a manager, whatever level you're at, whether it's C-suite, an administrator, an office manager, one of the things that we need in order to create change is leadership. And one of the papers that I, or books that I reference in the paper is Professor John Cotter. In his book, What They Do, he says the aim of management is predictability, orderly results. Leadership's function is to produce change. So that's why I think it's so critical that we all find great leaders right now to produce the change that we want to see in the legal industry and to be the one who's doing the acquiring rather than being at the effect of it, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we touched on this a little bit, but what are some of the actions that you recommend that legal management professionals take to deal with the future challenges they might encounter with leadership? So one of the things that I would suggest is to get buy-in. The important thing is, unless you have your managing partner, the leadership committee, or the executive committee, unless you have their buy-in, that's the biggest obstacle in any talk I've given around the country on the subject is oh, my managing partner won't buy into this or my executive committee won't buy into this. So one of the things I suggest is that to put yourself out there and to train yourself, help teach yourself. You might, you may or may not be a leader now, but teach yourself how to implement change in an empowering way. If we do take on these uh, new roles that I'm suggesting in the solution, utilizing associates in innovation and technology, non-billable roles, etc., these are huge and could be considered drastic changes to a law firm. But until you're somebody who can embrace change yourself, you're not going to be able to enroll your leadership team, your executive team into embracing these changes. So the first thing is educate yourself on how to become a better leader. And there's a lot of great references I give in the paper as far as where you can find information on great leadership. Two is to Teach yourself how to empower your team. One of the most popular talks I've been doing for a couple of years now is how to create an empowered and empowering environment. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, it was funny, actually. I was talking to one of the top venture capitalists in the world last night. We were at a function together, and he was talking about what makes a great CEO. And it was funny. One of the things that Bill was saying was he said, on the one side, you either have to have lots of empathy or no empathy. <laughs> he was joking. <laughs> He said, unfortunately, either one works, but Bill is saying, Bill Lau, I think was his name, and Bill is saying that if you have lots of empathy, that's what creates an amazing culture that people want to go to work for. If you have no empathy, a CEO who has no empathy, he or she, that's going to create that toxic work culture. But the other thing Bill is talking about is that flexibility, that ability to change. I mean, I wish I could have recorded that whole conversation Mm -hmm. with Bill because it's so pertinent to what we're talking about today. But there's so many different ways to be a great leader, but it starts with you. That's the most important thing, Kate. We can sit here and hypothesize about this all day long. How could we do this? How might you do that? But the ownership and the onus falls on the person who's listening to this show. 
one person can rise up and can be a great leader. In fact, even at my own organization, there's a gentleman who recently got promoted to partner over at Markham, and he was telling me the story is how he came up in the mailroom. So he worked his way up for 20 plus years to be able to one day become a partner. And I think that's the other thing that we need to look at in law firms and that I also reference in the paper. That's a possibility. When you work at a professional services organization like an accounting firm, you can start in the mailroom and work your way up. Mm -hmm. Because of legalities, and there's a lot of articles that are referenced out there too about how people are trying to change the legalities of what it takes to be required to be an attorney, it's not the same sense of ownership. If you start off in office services in a law firm, unless you take three years off and have the funds to go to law school, you're not going to be able to be a partner in that law firm. Mm -hmm. I think with the implementation of the C-suite and I think with legislation changing in the coming years to accommodate these changes, I think that that in and of itself will allow us to transform what it looks like to be a leader in a law firm and to be a partner in a law firm down the road. So finally, um, again, we referenced it earlier, but your previous white paper from ALA was the changing role of the legal secretary. So what interests you so much in the status of the legal workforce? So it's funny, Kate. I actually originally wanted to be an attorney myself uh, Mm -hmm. through the best mistake that happened. It was a clerical error at my school. I went to UC Irvine and I love them. I'm still highly involved in the Dean's Leadership Society. And, you know, I think UC Irvine just got rated as one of the top schools in the world on different, you know, New York Times and different things for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. But clerical error. I had graduated high school. I took my GED because I got a little bored and at 16 decided I wanted to go to college. Taking all advanced placement classes at the time, all AP European, AP math classes, English. But because of that, I transitioned. I went to junior college for two years. And then by the time I was 18, I went to UCI for my last two years. So I'm ready to graduate, Cade. Everything is like good to go. And I am so geared up to like be an attorney. I'm like, oh, I love research. I love utilizing logic. And so I'm getting ready to apply for the LSATs after I've graduated. And I get a call from my university and it was like something out of a horror movie where they said, well, maybe not a horror movie, but a horrible... <laughs> And they said, oops, you didn't grade. You're missing class from high school, U.S. History 101. Now, keep in mind, Kate, for the record, I did take AP European History in lieu of U.S. (laughs) History and passed it. But it was the best mistake that ever happened in my life. That year, I couldn't apply for law school. I wound up having to take a two-hour oral exam, pass or fail on a thousand-page book on U.S. History, which gratefully I passed. However, I wasn't able to apply to law school that year because of the timing of when I actually got my diploma that year. And that's why I'm so passionate about the law firm is that my brain works a lot like an attorney. I love logic. I love solving puzzles. And for me, the legal world is a puzzle to be solved. Mm -hmm. It's a business problem. And I love to strategize and find solutions to help business owners be more successful. And in fact, I just launched a new company called Metabizics with one of my friends and co-founders. And what we're looking at in this new business is how do business owners, law firms, corporations utilize metaphysical principles to create greater sustainability, success, and profitability. And so I'm fascinated as a human being, not just with law firms, definitely law firms more so than other areas, Mm -hmm. but all corporations and businesses and what has us create happy cultures, sustainability, and profitability, and win-wins for everybody involved. Well, great. Thank you so much for talking with me, Jennifer. 
Yeah, it's been such a pleasure, Kate. I could talk to you all day about this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you, as the listeners, can download both of her white papers on the ALA website. I'll provide the link in the show description. I'd also like to thank you for tuning in. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us, which makes it easier for others to find the podcast. As always, you can learn more about ALA and our upcoming events at alanet.org. Until next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.